One advantage of being here so long is that you all have learned to be very patient with me and allow me to think aloud. So <clears throat> that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to start a series that, as I've said before, it makes sense to me. I hope it does to you. We're about four weeks away from our celebration of Easter, the resurrection of Christ, crucifixion, and the resurrection. And so I, I want to, uh, each week from here until Easter, look at some sort of occasion that Jesus encountered um, on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, so we're starting this week with about four weeks out, four weeks from when Jesus finally gets to Jerusalem and encounters all the hate that we read about. And this morning I'm going to be speaking on, um, we're going to be looking at the raising of Lazarus. And, um, and I'm couching all of this uh, with that question, what are we to believe? What exactly are we to believe? And in each instance, we'll see this morning, raising of Lazarus, and then we will look at um, the changed life of uh, Zacchaeus, and then we'll look at the sight given to Bartimaeus, and in each of these instances, I think that's a very appropriate question to those who were observing or those who happened to be there and observe it. What exactly are we to believe what we just saw? You know, how do we, how do we explain what we just saw? Christianity, as we understand it, is one that we, uh, we serve God from a duty, deontological. We, we serve Him from a duty. We feel like we should. But when you stop and think about it, there is a certain element to this that we just simply cannot, um, we can't test. There was a, a philosopher named David Hume. He was a Scottish philosopher, probably one of the three top philosophers uh, in, in modern-day philosophy that had a great impact on, on understanding Christianity in that he was not a Christian, but he made some interesting observations. One statement he made is he said, a, a wise man proportions his belief to the evidence. And, you know, when we look at evidence, when we look at that, uh, we have to admit that there sometimes are various ways to explain what we've just seen. Uh, if we see a, a basket full of evidence on something or we see something, I might be able to explain it in one way, but there would be someone next to me that would say, well, no, that's not, that's not why it happened. And what we're talking about is what causes certain things to happen? What, what brings it about? And, you know, we're going to be looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet, that is not, a, in, my, in my opinion, it's not a freestanding thought because there is something behind the resurrection that we need to understand. And it is the power of God. 
And what's interesting and I think so significant is that the power of God is not limited to just that one instance of the resurrection, but the power of God permeates all of our life if we allow his power to do so. And we will look at it in these various instances. Now, here, what we're going to see is we're going to see that um, Jesus comes and he does something that is just absolutely beyond explanation. In fact, there was a certain level of belief of Lazarus' family, Mary and Martha, that they simply believed that had he been there, they would not be where they were. And that reveals, I think, a very limited understanding as to the power of God, all right? So I'd like to read through this, and again, I'll be, I'll be thinking kind of aloud uh, on some things, but we tend to believe what we, what we observe, then we figure out a belief or what brought it about or things of that sort. The more difficult thing is when we, when we uh, are asked to believe in something that we can't see, and that is the power of God. We cannot see the power of God. We can see its effects. And this morning, I would like to embark on this one, this one premise or statement, the power of God that resurrected Jesus Christ from the tomb is not limited to just that. The power of God is offered to each and every one of us in every dimension and aspect of our life, regardless of where we are. So this morning, I'll be, I'll be reading out of John 11, and I'll just read, There was a certain man who was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Well, then we find where <clears throat> when Jesus found out about this, first of all, his... Um, his reaction sometimes brings question. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. These things he said, and after that he had said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Let me stop here and give just uh, some observations. 
When we operate and live in our own lives, by our own vinegar, as it were, or by our own choices, we tend not to need the power of God in our lives. If we can resolve some sort of difficulty by our own hands or by our own minds and things, we do so. We are not in need of the power of God. However, when there is a window, which we just are now looking at, a window whereas we cannot do anything else, we don't know what to do, it's beyond our reach, we can't change anything, that is the window where the power of God is able to enter into our lives. Unfortunately, the window that we find ourselves in as we look out of it so often as we see here is a desolate window. We look out and we cannot see what we can do. We can only imagine what should have been done. We can only think about what it, how it would have been different had we done things different. But when we look out where we are, we see, some, we see nothing but desolate and there's no way. We don't see a pathway or anything. That is the time and the opportunity for the power of God to enter into our lives. Unfortunately, as I say, while we have it within our own hands, we don't need the power of God. But if we all live long enough and we're observant enough, we'll come to that window where we don't have an answer. And I'm saying to you this morning, from this we see that is where the power of God can come into your life. But then we read, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. Mary was still sitting in the house. Martha came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now that's very significant for us. If you had been here, we would not be where we are right now. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, well, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the question. That's the question I'll keep coming back to this morning. Do you believe this? Believe what? Well, Martha was being asked, do you believe in the resurrection? Yes, I believe in the resurrection. Do you believe that your, your brother will rise? Yes, I believe that, but maybe not today. But I know, Lord, that whatever you ask, God will give it to you. And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. When Martha said that, that is a statement of belief, but yet it is totally disconnected to what I'm talking about this morning. It's possible to believe in God, and it's possible to know of God, 
in our lives. It's possible to know that God does good things, and yet in our own minds, we have a great big if, if things would just be different. And so the second thing I would say about the power of God, that which we cannot see but is real, is this. The power of God is never limited by if, ever. In fact, conditions don't have to be a certain way for the power of God to come into our lives. Uh, it doesn't have to be right conditions. In fact, it doesn't even have to be familiar conditions in our lives. That does not limit the power of God to coming into our lives or to making an entrance into our desolating time that we find. In fact, the power of God is not limited as to whether or not we can explain it. Martha was unable to explain really what she just said. She said the right thing, but yet it, there was a disconnect between what she says, I know that you are the Christ, the Son of the uh, living God, and yet she, she could not imagine the power of God that came with him. So in our lives, we sometimes find ourselves with our lips saying we believe in God, but yet we overlook or we don't see that to believe in God is to believe in His power. And to believe in the power of God is to believe that it is not ever limited by, well, if this had been the case or that had been the case. In the lives that we live, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the scenario, regardless of the landscape, the power of God is never kept at bay by our conditions. The power of God will always find its way if we allow it to come into our lives. Then we read, uh, we read something very interesting, and I, I'll share this on the language. When she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Then the Jews who were comforting her, when they saw Mary rose up quickly, they went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary saw Jesus, she fell down at his feet, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The second time that that's said. That reveals something about our nature, our human nature, what I've just said, and that is so often we think, that because of certain conditions or certain scenarios that the power of God or, or help is not on the way. But yet let me reemphasize that the power of God is never ever limited by if. And then we find something that when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. Interesting word there, troubled. It translates agitated. Now, we don't think so often of the Lord as being agitated, but we, we find that he groaned in his spirit and, that, and, and it says that he was agitated. Well, why? I mean, that was my first question. Why would he be agitated? Well, I think that underestimating the power of God 
by his children is very troubling to God. You know, it was God who encouraged his children in the book of Malachi because they were so, I guess, uh, negligent or, or dismissive of God. And he said, try me and just see if I cannot do more than what you ever expect. We're also told in the scriptures that eyes not seen, ears heard what God has prepared for those that love him. So to underestimate his power, I think, is very troubling to God. I think it was troubling to the Lord because they had seen all the things that he had done. They knew of his miracles. But yet Jesus knew and was, uh, was aware that even though they saw these miracles that he was able to do by his hands, they never made the connection of what was behind the miracles. It wasn't that he was, as Joni Mitchell said, some magical physician. It wasn't that. It's that he knew that the power of his heavenly Father was behind him and the power of God was, was what would always bring about these things that people would see. In that, we, if we can't sometimes, we, if we see something and we can't explain it, we kind of move toward the idea, well, I can't explain it. I'm not for sure that it's true. We assume that perhaps it's false. Or sometimes if we doubt, we believe if something, if, we, if I doubt something, I just can't believe that it's true. In either case, we have to understand just because we can't explain it doesn't mean that something is false. And secondly, even if we do doubt something doesn't mean that it's false. Like they said, you can say an untruth, you can say a lie over and over again. It still doesn't make it true. And so in this, we find where human nature is trying to understand, trying to explain something. Why would Jesus come after he was already dead? And secondly, if you had been here, we would not be where we are. But what's interesting is that Jesus, by design and by purpose, waited extra days before then. Why? I believe that Jesus wanted them to understand, not that he was some magician or sorcerer or miracle worker. I think he wanted them to understand, which he absolutely said, what the power of God actually is and how it is always available to those who are in need. In fact, that's what, he, that's what he told the disciples. He said, I'm glad I, I wasn't there so that you can understand God. So if we're going to uh, ultimately on Easter celebrate the resurrection, I think we need to embark on trying to understand the power of God behind that. Because the resurrection, it comes and goes on Easter. We do it once a year. The power of God is something that can be with us every day of our lives. And especially if we understand that the power of God is never limited by circumstances, never limited by if, never limited by what we think, the power of God is that which is always available to us. And then I read where it says, where have you laid him? Where have you laid him? And they said to him, well, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Smallest verse in the Bible. So much has been written about it. 
we don't understand everything, except in my mind, I think the Lord has been touched by everything that we are touched by. I think the human part of him, that's why he came and dwelt amongst us. He took upon himself our flesh. And I think that he was sad. Sad for what? That he couldn't do anything? Hardly. He was sad because he saw the sadness of others. And he saw that they were, uh, as it were, uh, not understanding what was about to take place. Some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And that was their understanding of Jesus at that time. He was a miracle worker in certain instances. He could maybe keep someone from being sick, but he couldn't help him because he had passed away. That is an underestimation of the power of God. And that's what I think we see here. The power of God is not limited to things just in this life. As this illustrates, it goes beyond uh, the life that we live. We see this instance of raising of Lazarus. Now, some have said, well, he was resurrected. No, no, he's not resurrected as Jesus was resurrected. He was raised back to life. Why do I say that? Well, because he came back with the same body. He came back to live the same life. He would ultimately die again, whereas Jesus, when he was resurrected, new body. He was able to do things that he was never... He had a glorified body. So there is a difference here. But the power of God is behind both instances, either raising someone from the dead or resurrecting someone from the dead. The power of God is that which is behind that. Unfortunately, in our lives, there are too many things that obscure our, as it were, mind's eye about the power of God. Case in point, verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. But Martha, the sister of him, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, and he's been dead four days. Well, there's four obstacles right there. There's four obstacles that, that some thought will stop everything. First of all, is a tomb, there's a stone, there's a stench, and it's been four days. Again, I emphasize, the power of God is not limited to circumstances, no matter what they are. Now, in this case, yes, it's an incredible thing. How do we explain it? How do we explain someone being raised from the dead? Been in the tomb four days. I can't explain it. Except by the power of God. That's the only way I can. Now, someone would say to me, well, you can't prove the power of God. And my response is, you cannot disprove it. I'm just as justified in believing in an unseen power as someone feels that they're justified in disbelieving in an unseen power. In fact, early parts of our scientific discoveries of the Renaissance and everything... That's exactly what it was. I mean, you had people who believed in a fat earth, uh, fat earth, uh, uh, flat earth. That's been later, you know. Uh, but flat, and they believed it wholeheartedly, but it was disproved. And then, you know, so 
So in this, I'm justified in believing in something I cannot see, the power of God. Well, why would I believe it? Why would I believe that? Well, because I have to find some way, or I try to find some way to explain things that I see. Now, in this case, I've never seen this, but I, I have seen some things that we'll see in the next few weeks. And the only way that I can explain it is it must be something other than other people's explanations. Power of God. I choose to believe that it's the power of God, and I choose to live as if it's the power of God. What's the gamble on that? Well, the gamble is if I'm wrong, I've not lost anything. But if I'm right, I've gained everything. So in that, he came to the tomb four days. There was a stench. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory, the doxa of God? Doxa, the glory, is always associated with dunamis, power, where we get our word dynamite. Did I not tell you, Martha, that if you believed, you would see the glory and the power of God? So what is it we are to believe? Well, some people will believe that what he did was not of, of God. In fact, ultimately, ultimately we know that that's one, of the, uh, that's one of the things that they decided that they would try to kill Jesus because they felt like that he was doing things that were against God and things of that sort. And so they took away the stone from the place where Lazarus was laying, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you are always near me, and you hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, what Jesus was saying here is, I know that you always hear me. I know that you're always by me. But the people standing around don't. And I want them to know about your power. God's power, so often, as I say, is obscured from our eyes and our mind and our heart. We look at something, we, in this case, the grave is conquered, corruption set in, all sorts of things. But yet again, let me emphasize the power of God is behind what we're about to read. And the power of God is never, ever limited by circumstance or by conditions or by what we don't understand. The power of God is what it is. So, God's power is inevitable. I love that word. I love the word inevitable. It took me a long time to even know how to say it. Inevitable. You know what that means? Guaranteed. Cannot be stopped. Cannot be obscured. There is no obstacle. God's power is inevitable and will be seen. When he said these things, standing at the tomb, the stone was rolled away. Imagine the stench was coming out. People were wondering, what in the world are they seeing? 
what are we to believe at this moment? He simply cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen these things, they believed in him. However, some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. And when the Pharisees and Sadducees heard what Jesus did, they said, well, what shall we do if we allow this man to continue working these signs? He's going to cause all kinds of difficulties with us, and we're going to lose our power and standing with the Romans. Doesn't matter. The power of God is inevitable. In this case, with Lazarus, God's power raised him from the dead. God's power can change a man like Zacchaeus. God's power can change a life like blind Bartimaeus. And God's power can change our lives if we allow him to. There are other instances, as I come to a close, there are other instances of, of those who were raised from the dead. Jarrah's daughter, um, young man of name, Lazarus. We have some in the Old Testament. They were indeed miraculous occasions, events. There's no question about that. Sometimes we find difficulty in explaining it. We try to explain it in physical ways. We try to explain it in logical ways. And so often those ways just fall way, way short. But the one that doesn't fall short is God's power. Because in this instance of Lazarus being raised from the dead, it reveals to me the magnitude of the power of God that is seen in and through Jesus Christ. The power of God, as we'll begin to un unveil and understand these next few weeks, is seen exclusively in Jesus Christ. Because, see, apart from Christ being there, there would be no raising of the Lazarus. There would be no life. There would continually be a stench. There would continually be a corruption and it would be no more. But because of Jesus Christ, this story, I think, holds much more for us, for each of us. The power of God, like I say, is greater than all circumstances that we might imagine. The power of God is never limited. The power of God has no obstacles that it can stop. So, so the question is, what are we to believe? You know, that's the question. Do you believe, he asked Martha, do you believe? And I think that's where it comes down to us. It's the same kind of question, you know. We don't always understand what we see. I'll, I'll admit to that. We only understand, however, and this is very crucial in my mind, at least how I think, I'm only able to understand when I can understand what's behind what I see. If I can understand what's behind what I see, then I have a better picture of things. When he asked Martha, do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? I think that's the same kind of question we're asked. Do you believe 
that I am the resurrection and the life. So for me, I've come to a point that I'm going to say this in closing. These are reasons why we should believe that Jesus Christ is the light and life of all and the power of God is behind him. First of all, the scriptures say that in him was life and this life was the light of men. Jesus, we heard, say, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. We ought to believe that. The scriptures tell us that Jesus made this statement unequivocally. With men, certain things are impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Yes, Lazarus, we see that. But also, what's impossible to change someone's life? The power of God is able to do that. What seems to be impossible for someone to, to change their heart? The power of God is able to do that. The power of God is what is behind all that we're going to be reading. The scriptures tell us that our faith should not be in the wisdom of men. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says, but your faith should be in the power of God. Not religion, not duty, but the power of God. In fact, he writes later to the church at Ephesus, and he says this, The eyes of our understanding are enlightened because we begin to understand the exceeding greatness of the power of God to anyone who believes and that he works mightily in our hearts. I think that's why, I think that's why Paul wrote to the church at Rome, and he says, you know, we need to understand the power of God and God's love toward us. Yes, God loves us, but you know what's behind the love of God? His power. And His power is what drives that love. And that's why Paul said, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, things present or things to come, height, depth, nothing created shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what's behind that is the power of God. So this morning, what is it we believe? Well, we believe we're supposed to be in church every day. We're supposed to be there on Sundays. Supposed to celebrate the resurrection on Easter. And then we're moving on. No, no, let's slow down. Let's think more about what is it we're to believe? We believe in the power of God that is throughout our lives, if we allow him to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the time we can come to your house and really ponder and think of such things. I pray today, Lord, that we would give thought, we would give pause to our understanding of truly what your power means for us. I pray, Lord, that we would never be defeated by circumstances because our faith is, is in your power. I pray, Lord, that we would never, ever be stymied and think that we're in a desolate land. May we instead believe that your power will lead us out. I pray today, Lord, for all of us as your children. May we not underestimate your power in our lives, but may we, Lord, call for that and trust it 
and we'll give you thanks in our Lord's name. Amen. Let's stand this morning as we come to a close and they're going to lead us in a song and if you'd like to pray where you are, please do. The important thing is to answer that question within your mind. What is it you should believe? Well, the one thing that we all should believe in is the power of God that's in that can be in our lives. So we're seeing Ed, what page? 462. 462. As we sing, let us sing from a conviction of our heart.